some observations, really some memes with you. And I wish I was more technologically tuned in. There's probably some way I can put these on the screen, um, but I don't know how to do that. And then I just realized about 10 minutes ago, when I hold these up, I think the writing is mirrored, but it doesn't really matter. But let me share with you some, um, some quarantine isolation realities. For instance, this is people normally. Oh, that's, no, it looks right. Okay. How about that? People normally. People during quarantine. You know, when we're told that we can't get close to each other, we want to get close to each other, right? Or working from home, day one. Working from home, day two. We're all becoming fat Thor. Or maybe since you're doing a lot more cooking, probably not eating out nearly as much, um, can't go to restaurants. When the quarantine kicks in, uh, Sunday, steak, Tuesday, burger, or Monday, steak, Monday, burgers, Tuesday, spaghetti, Wednesday, ramen, Thursday, cream corn, Friday, roadkill squirrels, Saturday, dried grass and clovers. But I'm married to a great cook, so it's all been good for me. You know, this is just to kind of make you uh, reminiscent of the good old days. A throwback Thursday on a Wednesday. Yeah. Remember those days? Oh, good memories, right? Sure. Um, here's one. Time traveler. What year is it? Me, 2020. Time traveler. <laughs> I know. Martha says I'm too weird. We're all working from home now, right? When the Navy works from home. You can sink their battleship. I like this one. All of our dogs think we quit our jobs to spend more time with them. All of our cats think we got fired for being the loser they always knew we were, which is why I am not a cat person. You know, cats, the uh, um, domesticated animal that's not found in the Bible, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, um I'm not sure that I'm not sure the purpose of cats. I know just alienated half my audience. Um, this is when your holiday's been canceled by the coronavirus, but you don't want to give up on the dream. Here's a picture of a guy looking through, a, a, you know, sitting in a seat with a seat, but really it's uh, where is it? There's the reality of it. That's how he got the picture. It's not an airplane seat. It's a toilet seat. Um, I got a picture here of the toilet paper aisle at Walmart. And some of you will recognize the two little girls if you're old enough. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, by the way. We want to congratulate the graduating class of 2020. Graduating virtually. This is one of the few that actually made me laugh out loud. And I'm not even sure it's appropriate, <laughs> but it made me laugh out loud. Has anyone let the Amish know what's going on yet? <laughs> I don't know why that struck me as so funny. And now we get into the Keith Stefanko collection. I, uh, I went on Keith Stefanko's uh, uh, Facebook and I stole a few of these from Keith, but I want to give him credit for it. Isolation for a few months. We should be fine. 
And again, if you don't recognize that family, you're way too young. If you don't recognize that family, you're probably not tuned into me on a Wednesday night. Anyway, uh, Keith also, also shared with us the Corona Lisa. See that? Her hair is much longer. Her uh, roots are growing out. And I think it was Keith who brought to my attention that now everybody is envious of us bald guys who can cut our own hair now. And this might be my, my favorite one. Again, I, I found it on Keith's page. Okay, everyone, how do you catch the coronavirus? Being around someone who has it? Correct. So what you should you do to avoid getting sick? Buy all the toilet paper. It is so weird trying to tell a joke to myself because I think it's funny. And I've got this strange feeling that most every one of you are sitting out there going, I don't get it. I don't think it's funny. But it doesn't matter. Um, it's Wednesday night, right? We have been doing this stuff long enough that we're starting to feel like this is the new normal, right? You keep hearing people use that phrase, well, this is our new normal. And yet, we all realize this is not normal. And it's not going to be normal. I, I think we all realize this is going to be over at some point. We're going to get back to the way it was. We're going to get back to life as we sort of knew. Yeah, there'll be some things that we carry through and some things that we learn and all that stuff, but but this is not normal. You know, this is this is now, but it's not normal. And yet there's some things that we have picked up and kind of learned and and um and and our uh, understanding about this weird time. For instance, things like live stream, Zoom, Google Duo. Now we all know what those things are now, right? We're all sort of tapped into those things. Things like drive-by birthday parties. And we had a couple of those last week in the Bay Area family. Um, drive-by reunions, virtual weddings. The NBA draft had athletes sitting in their homes, you know, being drafted. A virtual church. That doesn't really seem quite as weird to us. Curbside pickup. I've never done curbside pickup before, but I've done it now in the last couple of weeks. Um, again, really bad haircuts. We're all getting kind of used to seeing really bad haircuts or people really needing a haircut right now. Terms like social distancing. We understand what that means. I've never heard that term. I'm not sure it actually existed until, you know, this whole thing started. Now everybody's talking about social distancing, and we understand what that means. Isolation. We understand the concept a little better of isolation. We understand that being isolated while time like this is necessary, but it gets old in a hurry, doesn't it? I mean, your kids start climbing the walls, and you just really, I'm ready to get out of isolation. I'm ready to get back to being around people. Uh, the six-foot rule. We know what that's about. We know about staying six feet apart. You know, you, if, you, if you happen to be in a store, there's tape on the floor of where you're supposed to stand and it's six feet from where the next person's supposed to stand. By the way, has anybody else gone down the wrong aisle of Publix? Martha and I were in Publix the other day and I'm just going, you know, she sent me off in one direction and I went in the other direction. I've got the cart and I'm going down the aisle and this lady's coming towards me and she's like, 
And she stops. She said, you're going the wrong way. And I was thinking, how does she know what I'm looking for? How does she know where what I want is? She goes, it's a one-way aisle. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, you just shared more germs with me by yelling at the only other person in this aisle than if we just could have passed like two ships in the night. But she was right. I was wrong. So I realized there's a right and wrong way to shop at Publix now. And I obviously don't know it. I'm quarantined. We understand that. We kind of get what the purpose is. And again, um, just how depressing quarantine is. But again, we know this isn't permanent. We're going to put up with it for a while, but it's not going to last forever. No, I, I can put up with it for a while. We're in this um, little set of studies. Um, that's what he said. And the purpose is just to take a look at some things that Jesus said and some things that Jesus did and try to learn some lessons from that that uh, you know we can apply to our own lives. And I want to talk to you tonight about a guy who has an interaction with Jesus who understood isolation better than any of us will ever understand isolation. He understood quarantine better than any of us will ever be able to understand it. The, the social distancing, that wasn't just a, a thought for him. That was his life. He spent his existence social distancing. And I'm going to be in Mark chapter 1, just a couple verses, starting at verse 40 in Mark chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, Open up your phone app or whatever to Mark chapter one. And let me tell you something I've sort of been struggling with. And I'm not going to pull it off tonight, but I'm still thinking about it. And maybe some of you can give me some ideas. I'm really wrestling with how to make these type uh, connections more connective, how to make them more interactive. And on Facebook Live, since we have more than you know 30 or 40 people uh, checking in, um, I've been told that this is the best option, but it doesn't leave much space for interaction. So I would love for you to put in the comments, you know, not just, hey, we're here, which is, again, I mentioned at the beginning here, if you weren't on, it's really encouraging. I, I love to be able to see who's here and who's, you know, makes us kind of feel like we're all, we're all together. But I'd love for you to put down just some things that jump out at you. If we were in the auditorium, if we were having this class and and, the, and I as a teacher called on you, what jumps out at you in this passage? Um, I would love for you to put that down in the comments. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm not savvy enough to be able to multitask and read it and address it. And I'm going to kind of tell, tell you the things that jump out at me. But I, uh, I hate that we're missing your insight and your comments. So I think God wants us to be in Mark chapter one tonight. And I, and I think that God's going to bless us, you know, by reading this passage and thinking about it. Um, and I'll certainly go back and look at the comments and then, you know, the rest of you who are out there kind of can watch the comments and think about it, but just if something jumps out at you, you know, just type it in the comments and kind of, even if you don't want to explain it a lot, at least get us all thinking in that line. But I'm in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to make some observations and some thoughts. Um, a man with leprosy came to him. 
begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, (laughs) he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. I don't know about you, but I have never met anyone. I've never been around anyone that I'm aware of who has ever had leprosy. No, we don't see that now. But I have been around people who have been treated as uh, outcasts who have been treated in a way that's sort of marginalized, who who just didn't fit in and didn't have a place. People that maybe because of their ethnicity, because of their place, you know, in socioeconomic scale, uh, their level of education or lack thereof, maybe some physical situation, just they sort of find themselves for whatever reason on, you know, the bottom rung of the social ladder. And of course, I don't have to tell you that those social ladders keep changing, right? Now, we've all found ourselves in situations and where we've said, man, I am really out of place here. I'm the outcast here. You know, I, I really feel awkward here. You know, I don't fit in. And on the other side of that, there's times when I've seen others in, you know, in, in my, uh, uh, in, in, around me that I'm like, this has to be awkward for them. Because they don't really fit in with this group, with this crowd. Um, the story that uh, Mark shares with us in, in first chapter, Mark, um, gives us a tremendous insight into the heart of Jesus um, and, and some other levels, too. You know, this guy that approaches Jesus, he has leprosy. And, and I could explain some of the things that, you know, you could learn about what the disease leprosy does. But you've all heard those things. No, it would not be a a, a pretty conversation at all. But I think we all know that leprosy in the first century, it was pretty much a death sentence. There was no cure for leprosy, but it wasn't just a a physical death sentence. It was a relational death sentence too. It was an emotional death sentence. I mean, it it was just really, um, really bad stuff. And it, it was really just tragic. Um, Notice what the book of Leviticus says about lepers. And by the way, if you're reading along in the Bible Interactive Group, you just read this, I think. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45, talking about people with leprosy. The person with such an infectious disease must wear torn clothes. Let his hair be unkept. Cover the lower part of his face. Got to wear a mask. And cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live in isolation. He must be quarantined. He must live outside the camp. Obviously, nobody wanted to be that guy. And nobody wanted to be that woman. But could you imagine if you were that guy? Could you imagine if you were that woman? 
Could you imagine that being your reality, that being your normal? To never again be able to really talk to anybody in the normal world. To never be able to touch anyone in the normal world. Could you imagine that level of isolation? To never be able to hold your kids or your grandkids. To never feel your parent's arm around your shoulder. Never feel a, a friend, you know, take you by the hand. To be that much of an outcast, that quarantined. You know, the law is really clear on what to do with lepers. You stay away from them. You don't go near them. You don't allow them near you. But it wasn't just a physical issue. It also carried this moral stigma to it as well. Because people seem to believe that people that had leprosy, well, somehow they did something that caused God to inflict them with leprosy. I mean, they're sort of getting what they deserve. So there was this whole misconception that um, it wasn't just a physical thing. It was punishment. And you sort of get that in the language that's used. You know, when other people have diseases and they're healed, uh, they get healed, right? But when somebody has leprosy and they're healed, the Bible doesn't say the people that the, the, the language wasn't they were healed. They were cleansed. They weren't just sick. They were unclean. They didn't just need healed. They needed cleansed. Now, the rabbis in the first century, they were so clean that there's no way that they would let a leper come anywhere near them. Not these people who were, who were so religious, who thought they were so close to God. They would never think of allowing a leper to come to them. There's no way this leper would have approached, should have approached a rabbi. But Mark is really um, specific in the way he paints this narrative. I mean, he's very specific about how this leper approaches Jesus. He falls on his knees and he begs Jesus. This guy is broken. This guy is humbled. This guy realizes I don't have any, I don't have anything to lose, and I don't have anywhere else to go. So he comes to Jesus and he makes this great statement to Jesus. And his statement is if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it's an interesting statement that he makes. And there's a contrast here. Um, if you keep reading in the book of Mark, you read about a dad who has a son who is possessed by a demon. And he comes to Jesus. But he makes a statement to Jesus. And his statement is, if you're able, would you exercise this demon from my son? And of course, Jesus' response is, if I'm able. But that's not what the leper says in Mark 1. This guy doesn't seem to have any doubt that Jesus is able. He doesn't seem to have any doubt of Jesus' power, of his authority. What he has sort of doubts about is, is it possible? Is there by any unexplainable twist of fate, could someone like you... Help someone like me. If you're willing, you can cleanse me. You can make me clean. 
And this isn't just a nice story, by the way. There's some pretty shocking stuff going on here in these these five verses. And again, we're gonna we're gonna see some things, some some um, insights into Jesus's heart, but also you kind of get some insight into human nature. And I know it was two thousand years ago, but uh, all the things that have changed in two thousand years, I'm not sure human nature has changed a whole lot. I think we still struggle with the same things those people struggled with. We still have the same um, misconceptions and. Uh, the same arrogant mindset and, and the same selfish kind of predisposition. I'm not sure those kind of things have changed very much. But, uh, you know, the question sort of becomes, how is Jesus going to handle this guy? Because this guy approaches Jesus. How's Jesus going to handle him? Because the world is, is very clear on how to handle him. Stay away. And the law is very clear on how to handle him. There's got to be a, a buffer. There's got to be some social distancing. There's got to be some isolation here. Don't touch him. But you notice Jesus's first response? Before the, before the conversation really gets going very well, Mark tells us that Jesus was filled with compassion. Jesus sees these man, this man and his, his emotional response is compassion. You know, for centuries, I guess, there's been strategies by people who are really religious that we're going to distance ourselves from everybody that's not like us. We're going to stay safe. You know, in the first century, it was lepers and tax collectors and, you know, uh, sinners, you know, prostitutes, you know, the, the, those people. We're going to keep them at arm's length. Um I think sometimes people are still guilty of that. We're going to remove ourselves from people who don't look just like us, don't act just like us. We're going to hunker down. We're going to get our little, you know, holy huddle, and we're going to keep ourselves safe because we certainly don't want to get too close to those people. What they're doing might be contagious. Now, yes, I understand, and I'm sure you do, too, that the world is a dangerous place. And yes, I understand, and I'm sure you do, too, that evil companions corrupt good morals. But I also understand, and I hope you do, too, that any strategy that says, I'm going to separate myself from somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and I'm going to separate myself from somebody who doesn't need Jesus, that's not a strategy that God's going to endorse. God is never going to be okay with that strategy saying, I'm going to keep myself away from people who might need what Jesus has to offer. This isn't a secret club that we're a part of. Jesus made sure that, um, that he was accessible to everybody. And, and what, what I need, what you need, is the same thing that this leper needed. He needed Jesus. And all the people who look just like me and act just like me and kind of live just like me, they need Jesus. And all the people who really don't have very much in common with me, they need Jesus as well. So Jesus shows up on the scene and all the religious people, you know, they're saying, here's how you handle this guy. You just stay away. You just socially distance yourself. 
And there's some amazing things that are going on here in this uh, context of what Jesus is doing in this miracle. You know, in a lot of ways, Jesus really was uh, a first century Jewish rabbi. Now, a rabbi was a teacher. A rabbi was someone who knew the law, who taught the law, and then explained how to apply the law. So in a lot of ways, that was what Jesus was. That was, you know, what Jesus was doing. Now, the leper's job was to make sure that everybody stayed away from him, and he stayed away from everybody. A rabbi would have been the last person that this leper should have approached. No, this leper would never have imagined approaching a rabbi. And the truth is, in the first century, all those first century Jewish rabbis, they sort of prided themselves in being unapproachable. And they sort of prided themselves in being unaccessible. And kind of the idea of, you know, as I get more and more holy, as I get closer and closer to God, I'm putting more and more distance between all of those people who are so far from God. And so I'm drawing a line here. And I'm putting up a wall here. And I'm getting so close to God. And I'm getting so far from all those people who uh, who need God. And you can't miss the irony in Mark chapter 1. The one rabbi that this guy could approach, the one rabbi that he could go to, was the most holy rabbi of them all. This was the one who was closer to God than all the rest put together. This was Jesus, the Son of God. And he's the one who allows this guy to approach him. In fact, he doesn't just allow it. Now, read between the lines there. I think he encourages it. He certainly accepts it. Um, Jesus doesn't send this man away. He doesn't demand the six-foot rule or whatever it was back then. He doesn't chastise him. You know, you're breaking the law. You know you're breaking the law. He allows him into his personal space so close that he reaches out and touches him. Jesus was so incredibly accessible, so approachable. Now, you think about being in places where famous people are, and you've probably run across somebody, whether it's an athlete or at a concert or a movie star or something. If it hasn't happened to you personally, you've certainly seen it on TV where there's a real famous person. And, you know, I've been places where famous person people have been, and there's usually bodyguards around them or a police presence. Well, maybe there's a um, barricade. And we get that, don't we? We understand I can go to the barricade, but I can't crawl over the barricade. I, I can't go sort through the bodyguards. I can't interact with that famous person. Now, I, I get Maybe I can wave my hands and get his attention and maybe make eye contact for a second or two, but, but I can't have an interaction. And yet you look at Jesus, and, and Jesus is inviting us not just to have an interaction. He's inviting us to have a relationship. This really personal, really intimate relationship with him. So as we start to kind of wrap this thing up, let me ask you a question just kind of for you to consider. 
Are you becoming more approachable or less approachable in your Christianity? And I'm not sure that's the right way to ask the question. Um, I was kind of struggling. How do I ask this question? Um, maybe it's this. As, as you're growing in your Christianity, are you drawing people to you? Or are you turning people away? Are you attractive or are you kind of offending people? You know, Martha and I live right outside of Plant City, and we love Plant City. We go to Plant City all the time. It's a neat little town, kind of a small town feel. Uh, a lot of weekends, they'll have uh, like civic things going on, like car shows and uh, food trucks and all that stuff. Um, we go down there when they light it up for Christmas, and it's just kind of a neat place to walk around, get a ice cream cone, that kind of stuff. But about half the time that we're down there for, for some weekend event, there's a guy that stands kind of in the middle of everything on a soapbox. And some of you know this guy, or at least have seen him. He uh, has a loudspeaker with him, and he stands on this box, and he preaches to people. But he preaches fire and brimstone. I mean, he just lets everybody have it. And it's really loud, and, and it, he quotes a lot of scripture. But it's all very, you're all going to hell. You're all, you know, but it's, it's scripture and what he's saying is true, but it's amazing to watch people go out of their way to get away from that guy. I mean, he's in the middle of this little area and it's like there's a force field around him. People will walk way out of their way. No one approaches him. No one makes eye contact, including me, by the way. You know, and I just kind of shake my head and say, wow, that is so off-putting. But it's culture. Yeah, but you are not drawing anybody to you. And I'm not saying that those, those, those realities and those truths aren't incredibly important to share. I'm just asking the question, as a Christian, as you're growing in Christ, because I know you're growing in Christ, are you becoming more accessible? Or you find yourself drawing more lines and kind of offending more people and pushing more people away? You know, Jesus was perfect, and yet he drew people to him. I mean, he drew sinners out of the woodwork. I mean, people just, people flocked to Jesus. Um, he, Jesus was different. He was very different. No one ever said to Jesus, you know what I like about you, Jesus? I like the fact that you're just one of the guys. You're one of us. You think like us, you talk like us, you act like us. I love you're one of the guys. No one ever said that to Jesus. Jesus was different. And in his differentness, I'm not sure that's a word, but his differentness attracted people. Uh, those religious leaders of the day, they were different as well. But they didn't attract people with their differences. They built walls and they drew lines. Remember later on in Mark, um, Parents were bringing little kids to Jesus, and the disciples see it happening, and they tell the parents, "They get the kids out of here. This isn't for kids. Um, you know, they're they're not important. Basically, is what they're saying. They're at the bottom of the totem pole. And if you remember, Jesus's response was, "Don't hinder these children. Let the children come to me." In fact, he said, "The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these." Now, Jesus got mad at his disciples about that. Um, you need to remember that's still Jesus's heart. 
Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus still saying, come to me. And I think it's interesting. One thing I want to say about this, you know, and I've talked to people. I bet you have too. You start talking to them about Jesus. Say, yeah, but I got to get my life fixed up first. You know, my life's a mess. Things are just, things aren't where they should be right now. But but as soon as I get everything sorted out, then I'm I'm coming back. I'm going to get back with me and God are going to get okay. But I'm going to get things straightened out first. Did you notice when this guy came to Jesus? He was a leper when he came to Jesus. He had leprosy when he came to Jesus. If he'd have waited until the leprosy was gone before he was going to go to Jesus, he never would have gotten to Jesus. And and too many times, too many people say, you know what? I I, got to get this thing figured out. I got to work on this bad habit. I got to I got to get my marriage fixed. I got to get my kids kind of back under control. And then I'm coming back. Then me and God, me and Jesus, we're, you know, then I'm going to get busy and get serious. And you spend all this time carrying around these burdens. And you spend all this time carrying around this uh, this anxiousness and, and and all this weight. Come unto me. You're weary and heavy laden. Jesus is saying, come with all your mess. That's the time to come. Come with all your junk. That's the time to come. Come with your doubts. Come with your fears. Come with your questions. Come with your baggage. Come with your leprosy. Come to me. Jesus is still inviting us to to come to him. You know, the great thing about um, this passage, and and I love that Mark uh, included it, and I'm glad the Holy Spirit inspired him to do that. And I've got a feeling some of you will have mentioned this in your comments. I love the fact that Mark tells us Jesus's heart was filled with compassion. He sees this man and he's filled with compassion. I really want that to be my heart. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not there yet. I would love to be able to tell you when I see people, when I see, you know, just anybody, I'm filled with compassion, but I'm not there yet. But I'm convinced that's the heart of Jesus. And if I'm going to get closer to Jesus and I'm going to get closer to his heart, then I've got to work on that. And I've got to, I've got to submit to God on that thing. Um, and so I'm going to ask you to pray for me about that, just that, that I can see people the way Jesus saw people. You know, here was a guy that Jesus knew. This guy needs me. He doesn't have any other chance but me. And we got to get to where we see people and we say, you know what? There's somebody who needs Jesus. They don't have any other chance. And if he allowed me to come to him with all my mess and all my sins and all my baggage, then I'm not going to I'm not going to want to withhold grace from somebody else that's that's trying to get to Jesus as well. Maybe they just don't know it. Hey, that's about all I got tonight. Um, It's only five verses, but anytime Jesus stops and has a interaction with somebody, there's a lot to talk about and there's a lot to learn. And I'm looking forward to reading the comments and seeing what, uh, what you all kind of got out of that. I want to have a prayer and and then I want to give you a uh, couple updates And then I'll sign off. 
Father, I am so thankful that that when you see us, you're still filled with compassion. And the invitation is still to come and to uh, allow you to heal us and also allow you to cleanse us. And what a blessing that is. So thank you, Father, for all those promises and all the reality of those promises. Father, we've been praying really hard for some people. We've been praying really hard for our brother Glenn. Um, We're thankful for the good report that we got about Glenn. And we so certainly know that uh, he's not out of the woods, but we're asking you to continue to be with that brother and strengthen him and let the healing continue. Uh, We're mindful of Duke Covington and um, we're mindful also of um, uh, Yessie's husband, Steve. Um, pray that you continue to be with them. And I know I'm forgetting others, Father, but uh, thank you for uh, hearing our prayers. And as we go through this week, as we continue to pray, uh, thank you for being a father who, whose first reaction is compassion. Uh, so bless us the rest of this week. Father, we're praying about this virus. We're praying for the people who are fighting it people who are trying to resolve it. And of course, we're praying for uh, your intervention. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen.